Our reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 16, and you can find it uh, beginning on page 73 in the Pew Bibles. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. 
Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You'll not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you both very much indeed for that uh, extensive reading. Grateful uh, to you for uh, sharing it between you. Now, will you indulge me this morning? Can I have one of these sort of dialogues uh, with the congregation which preachers love and congregations don't? But uh, here we uh, go. Who can name a specific answer to prayer, specific answer to prayer that you have experienced today? Put up your hands if you can. Put up your hands if you've ever said the Lord's Prayer. PA system of putting up their hands. <laughs> Put up your hands if you ever said the Lord's Prayer. Okay. Name something in the Lord's Prayer about food. Give us today our daily bread. Who here has eaten something in the last 24 hours? <laughs> Put up your hands if you've experienced a specific answer to prayer. <laughs> in the last 24 hours. And it's a miracle. 800 million people in the world today would regard daily bread as nothing less than a miracle. You may say, um, daily bread is all about us. I just go down the shop and buy it. For countless people in the world today, daily bread is just a miracle. So where are we going with this? I I guess you've probably got there already, haven't you? Uh, Today we're with the people in in the wilderness, in the desert. They've been set free from slavery in Egypt and they're on the way to the promised land, a land promised that's flowing uh, with milk and honey. And surprise, surprise, in the desert, they run out of food. And surprise, surprise, they blame the leaders Uh, Aaron and Moses. You have brought us, we heard the reading, you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, uh, I know that uh, grumbling can become uh, a bit of a a way of life. Uh, I like to start each morning with exercise, actually. Uh, Up, down, up, down, up, down, then the other eyelid. And uh, it really kind of gets me uh, going in the, in the morning. But uh, it seems that, that, that a lot of people like to start the morning uh, by grumbling. Uh, they grumble that they're too tired, 
Uh, they complain about how early it is. They complain about how dark it is. They complain about how tired they feel. And you know that grumbling can actually kind of get inside you and, and shape a negative attitude to the whole uh, of your life. And interestingly enough, just one of the readings that I uh, did this morning um, came uh, from... Um, uh, um, uh, um, ooh, I've lost it. My technology has failed me. Uh, let me see if I can uh, get it back quickly. Uh, came from a quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis explains why the real problem of the Christian life comes where we don't usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back. In listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in, and so on, throughout the day. God has set these people free. They've got a new future in, in front of them, a new life, a new possibility, a new hope. But instead of being a hopeful people, or even a determined people, or even a grateful people, what are they? They are a grumbling People. In the desert, we read, the whole community grumbled. Now, there's a huge temptation here to, to go on a bit of a rough riff about um, congregational grumbling, but I'm kind of resisting it. But nonetheless, in my experience, a lot of congregational grumbling is about looking back to a golden era. It didn't used to be like this. And sometimes it's an imaginary uh, golden uh, era. And exactly so here. I mean, just listen to what they're saying. Out of slavery, out of bondage, out of extreme oppression. What do these people want to do? They want to go back there. How much sense does that make? In Egypt, we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Oh, no, you didn't. But that's what they said. That's what's in their mind. They wanted to go back to oppression. No people, non-people. And in fact, some of them would even say that they wish they were dead rather than go on in the wilderness. And like any wise leader, uh, Moses doesn't immediately lash out like I am sometimes tempted to do. He takes the grumblings to God. And God says, listen Moses, I've appointed you leader and actually I've heard their grumblings and I'm going to respond. I will give them food uh, but it will be food with a twist. I will feed them in the wilderness in such a way that they will need to learn the two things that we kind of know mark our Christian life. They will need to learn to trust and to obey, trust and obey. How often have we heard that over our Christian life? And God says, that's what I brought you into the wilderness to his people. That's what I brought you there to discover again afresh. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven, manna from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day 
And in this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. So let me talk to you about jumble sales. I'm addicted to jumble sales. My wardrobe is heavily indebted to them. You probably had noticed uh, this morning. And uh, I used to look after a a little church on a very, very tough housing estate in in, in Leicester. Uh, And it was tough as tough. But jumble sales were an important social occasion, and I still believe they are. I think they're an important way of recycling, And I also think that they're a good way of redistributing social justice because sometimes people find things there that they wouldn't be able to afford otherwise. I I think they're great. They're probably going to be renamed now as a a sort of artisanal marketplace pre-loved opportunities or something like that, (laughs) using all the the jargon that, that, that goes together. But anyway, on this sort of really tough estate, one night... I, I was out collecting jumble sale and I called on a house who said that they'd got some jumble for the church. It was a house I had never been to before, a couple I didn't know before, they had no connection with the church. And, and we got talking. And the talking, I don't know quite what happened, it was, it was remarkable. Somehow the t- talking went for, from jumble uh, to faith in Christ. And that couple, something happened that night, I don't know what, that couple started coming to church and they didn't just come to church, uh, they came to Christ. Now, it just so happened that that church was going through a really tough time. They felt very beleaguered. They hadn't seen a new person join the church for some years and it was a little kind of tough congregation. And so this couple joining really seemed to be good news but you know the remarkable thing that that happened was that as soon as this couple decided that they were going to commit themselves to Christ and really go for it and they were profoundly and and classically converted so much started going wrong in their lives unexpectedly the husband lost his job unexpectedly the wife's mother was diagnosed with a serious illness. And other things poured in on their life which were really difficult. And I trembled for them because if, if ever there was a couple who had in one sense a, a, a reason for, for, for giving up and going back, it was that couple. If ever there was a couple that says, look, look, God, we thought we were doing the right thing and now look, it would have been that couple. But actually, do you know what? It was the way those, that couple turned to God in that situation that became a strength and an inspiration and an encouragement to others. And they became a sort of cornerstone, a sort of building block uh, for a new future for that church because their presence opened the door somehow to a new presence of other people as well. Now, I know lots of us will speak of the same experience, won't we? We step out and do something in courage and in faith. 
We think we're doing the right thing, it's a new thing, it's a hard thing, it's a difficult thing, and then something or some things hit us out of the blue from nowhere. We're blindsided, they come from left side. And that's a fairly common experience, isn't it? So what's going on there? What is that about? There's probably lots going on there. The battle between good and evil is a real one, and the enemy really is like a roaring lion seeking to devour people. And and so, you know, there is a place for that people's cry. Why have you brought us into this barren place to die? And God says, no, you've got it wrong. I brought you just here so that you can learn to trust me. Trust me not to take you out of the wilderness, but to look after you as you travel through it. The wilderness, my people, isn't a place of breaking. It's a place of making. And here you'll start again to learn what it means to be my people. And so I'm going to give you manna from heaven, just enough for one day. Try and stockpile it and it will go bad. And every day you will have to start again in trusting me. If you try to grab two lots, just in case, one lot will go bad. If you try and cheat and grab your neighbour's share, that will go bad too. Just enough for today, just enough for you, just enough for the people you care for, just enough, just one day at a time. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, you've heard it's read this morning, the one who gathered much did not have too much and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had just as much as they needed. In the rescue from Egypt, it's it's almost as though God had taken all the responsibility for himself, just as he's done in Christ. He he took over that rescue. But as God now begins to make his people his people, he allows them, so to speak, to be more responsive, to learn that they need to trust him in new ways uh, from now on. And that's not only a a daily trust. Actually, here's the twist. There's a special trust that they have to trust God for the seventh day. The only day when you get double rations, says the Lord, is the day before the Sabbath. And that's so that you can have one day off, the seventh day, one day off from the routines and treadmills of everyday life. On the sixth day, we've read this morning, they gather twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses and he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil Save what is left and keep it until the morning. 
management gurus are always coming up with some new thing, aren't they? And, and uh, wellness at work is, is quite current at the moment. We've got wellness at work consultants all over the place. And it's good. And the buzzword is, 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 is work-life balance. And God got to work-life balance a long time before anybody else did because he rested on the seventh day of creation. And so in the wilderness, God commands the Sabbath as an act of obedience. I tell you to observe the Sabbath. But he did it, I believe, for their good and maybe for our good. But do you see how it's, it's another act of faith? They have to provide trust that there will be enough to get them through two days. And particularly get them through a day where they do nothing. They don't even have to go out to gather it. Get them through a day where, are, where they are totally dependent on God. They have nothing to contribute to it because it's all been done previously. So, here's the act of faith. People, you have to set one day aside for rest and worship. And you have to trust God to look after all your weekly affairs while you're doing it. And isn't it the same uh, all over for us? Uh, if we trust God with our money and give generously, isn't that a sort of act of faith that I won't miss out by being generous? Uh, some of us are used to the principle of, 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 of tithing, giving a tenth of, of our income away. But, but what, what if we apply that to our time? I'll give you eight hours sleep. That's 16 hours a day. That's uh, 112 hours or something a week, isn't it? A tenth of 112 hours is 11 hours. Will you trust God, so to speak, to look after those 11 hours? Tithe your time. Will you trust God to look after your affairs during those 11 hours, so to speak, while you rest and worship? It's an act of faith. Three hours, maybe, of the 11 on a Sunday morning. Trust God while we obey. Obedience is trusting God to understand and to care as I obey, even if it's hard. And someone has said that even, even resting, particularly nowadays, is, a, is an act of faith. Because I'm so believing that I've got to keep my hands on things. If I take my hands off things, they're all going to fall apart. That actually taking my hands off and trusting God to look after is itself an act of faith. I mean, me included, me included, hands up, full, full, full guilt. You know, many of us would say, well, I'd love to pray more. Uh, but actually, we're just, I'm just too busy. 
And maybe that's, that's the point. I have to trust God with what's going on all around me while I carry on with my praying. And God says to his people, I will look after you, not just to stop your grumbling, but so that you will see my glory. So give us this day our daily bread. It's a, a bit of an odd line stuck in there, maybe you think, but see where it comes. Hallowed be your name, your name first, your kingdom come. That's what I want most of all, in me and through me. Your will be done, and I can't do it myself, and I need to trust you day by day, so give us this day our daily bread as I seek to do your will. And even in the wilderness places, the question comes, can I learn to trust God to be there for me? Here's, a, here's another story that I, I, I happened to come across uh, during the week. It's, let's call him James. Uh, James has spent the bulk of his uh, working life uh, as a university careers advisor. And by asking the right questions, you know, as, as these career uh, advisors do, he'd helped hundreds of students discover how their gifts and skills and desires would find a place in the world of work which was just right uh, for them. For them. But, but on his 79th birthday, he realised that he, he needed a bit of vocational advice for himself. And so he prayed, Father, at this stage of my life, how can I best use my time and my gifts? Shortly after that, he was walking through the town and he noticed a sign in the local library uh, asking for computer buddies, computer friends, people who would help other people with their computer skills. And, and James knew he was a bit techy, he could do it, he volunteered, he was accepted, and soon he was helping people with their IT skills. And people were discovering how they could log on to their universal credit accounts and all that sort of important stuff. And one day someone came, called Stuart uh, came into the session and James helped Stuart uh, use Gmail and Facebook and all that sort of stuff. And uh, they formed a real friendship. And not long after that, uh, Stuart was diagnosed uh, with an aggressive cancer. And through that most difficult time, uh, James's presence and James's skills that had shown him helped Stuart to share that journey through Facebook with the rest of his friends and family. And I love that story. Lord, what do you want from me at this stage of my life? If you don't want to know the answer, don't ask the question. What do you want from me at this stage uh, of my life? And even a little thing, like computer skills, can minister grace and hope and love. Something again I read during the week, God doesn't ask us all to do great things, but he does ask us to do little things with great love. So we too are God's people, rescued from slavery, and as David was saying so powerfully last week, we're rescued for a purpose, saved from in order to be saved for, set free to be who God has called us 
to be set free for God's new future, the promised land, the kingdom of God, begun now and completed in glory. And when the going gets tough, the wilderness people say, let's go back to the old ways. Let's go back. Let's go back to the situation that was exploiting and killing us. Yes, we were slaves, but at least we knew where we stood. This freedom is frankly scary. One of the themes, just looking back over past weeks in uh, the life of our church, one of the themes that I think has, has kind of been emerging over months started, do you remember those of us who were there, Debbie introduced that thought about taking new steps for God and how the phrase, what if I fail, so easily comes into our minds. And she used that little thing from from the poem. Uh, What if I fail? Yes, but what if I fly? As I take new opportunity... From the poem, there is freedom waiting for you on the breezes of the sky. And you ask, what if I fall? But oh my darling, what if you fly? And do you remember in the autumn series, it's kind of followed on in my mind, the same sequence. We were talking about moving from the if-onlys. If only I hadn't done that. If only something different had happened. If only my circumstances were different. We were moving from the if-onlys of the past to the what-ifs. What if of a new future with God? And maybe just with this reading this morning, that theme isn't finished yet in our own lives and in the lives of the church. Lord, what's next for me? What do you want me to do? God bullies no one, but he will answer the question. In the desert, the people were given the choice of falling back into the old ways of captivity and comfort or flying free in the new ways of faith. And maybe you have heard, uh, perhaps over the past months, God saying, actually, just step out a bit. Uh, Just be a little bit uncomfortable. And you said, no. I I, I prefer the comfort bit. I'm more comfortable where I am. And maybe you have stepped out, and and maybe you've given it a go, and maybe it's much harder than you thought, and you feel like giving up or going back. You've got knocked sideways by something totally unexpected happening, and you think, what's this about? And God says, I am with you. I am with you. So give us this day our daily bread. Is that a prayer that we can be comfortable and complacent and free and easy? Or is it a prayer that with God's daily bread I can have the resources I need to trust and obey? Give us this day our daily bread. That's your call. That's my call. That's our call. A moment of quiet as we reflect together. Maybe just a moment of quiet to reflect on the call of God to be his person in all the different circumstances that he puts us in day by day.